Gabe Miller here, and I want to personally thank you for checking out our podcast. And I also want to encourage you to click the subscribe button so that each week's message will automatically show up in your feed. Another great way to stay connected with this is on our website at yourimpactchurch.com and on all of our social media outlets at Your Impact Church. I hope this message today encourages you, inspires you, and challenges you. Let's jump into the message. Thank you for what you're doing uh, in our midst. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to be in this room and to worship you and join together corporately and, and grow in your word and our knowledge of you today. And Lord, we thank you for Emmanuel Baptist Church. We just believe that, uh, that you're moving in their midst even right now. Bless their pastor, their leadership, their congregation, everything that they do. We thank you for the opportunity to build the kingdom alongside them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Well, today we have uh, a special treat. We get to hear from one of our very own and just want to give you uh, some information. You, many of you know Michael and Lori have, have been at the church for a while now, and he's been serving and, and uh, fulfilling the role of elder as well. And as the church has been continuing to grow, we've been praying about uh, new hires and staff people to bring on to help pastor and care for and shepherd people. And uh, so we've been in this pretty long process of trying to figure out uh, what that is and just seeking God to bring the right people and uh, just this last week Michael has stepped into the role of associate pastor come on at our church yeah and I'm just thankful because I get to tap into about 44 45 years of wisdom <laughs> on a more regular basis so today we get to hear from Michael Derringer so come on will you put your hands together once again and welcome to the stage Michael Derringer One thing I love about Gabe is he makes really good choices. <laughs> I'm talking about Amanda. I'm not talking about him. As a matter of fact, when we, when we talked about this, I said, are you sure? Do you know how old I am? I know that a lot, a lot of churches nowadays are hiring younger pastors because they feel like they can attract younger people and uh, appreciate, and I'm honored that, uh, and humbled as well that he uh, saw something in me, and, and my retirement did not last very long. I, I retired two years and four months ago, and uh, apparently that didn't take. So I'm going to read from uh, <clears throat> Ezekiel chapter 37, starting in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Lord God, you know. Father, we, we just ask, Lord, that your anointing would be on our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and our minds to, to know what you want us to hear and say and, and be and do and all the things, Lord, that we are as human beings, that, Lord, it will change us and transform us, Lord. We submit ourselves to you and we submit our hearts to you, Lord, this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been a victim of a backhanded compliment? 
And if you don't know what that is, let me give you a couple, two or three examples. Let's say someone says to you, you did surprisingly well. <laughs> now that sounds good on the surface, but that means most of the time you don't do well. So it really sh shocks me and surprises me that you did well today. Or how about this one? You look really good for your age. In other words, you're just this side of being a skeleton, but <laughs> you look pretty good for that. Or how about this one? You lost a lot of weight. You look really good, which means I think you, you used to look fat and ugly. <laughs> now, the Bible has a few of these, in my opinion. They're not quite like that, but they're similar in that God says, I'll give you beauty for ashes, and I love that verse. That's, that's, that's such a beautiful verse. That, that entire section is beautiful. But what that means is you're not, you're not beautiful yet. I'll give you beauty for ashes. Right now you're an ugly ash heap, right? Or God says, I will, give you a, I will take away your stony heart and give you a heart of flesh. Who doesn't want that? But right now your heart is stony, now, I'm going to pick this up again in just a few minutes in a, in a personal way. As most of you know, as <clears throat> Gabe continues to point out, my age, 44 years. The <clears throat> first time he introduced me was, and I'll, I'll give this up at some point, but <laughs> i got to keep milking this, <clears throat> that uh, I pastored longer than he's been alive. But <clears throat> when I announced, excuse me, when I announced my retirement two years and four months ago, I, I always do this the early service, and then it gets, my voice gets cleared up, and second service doesn't get this, but, <clears throat> but when I announced my retirement two years and four months ago, it was the single hardest decision I ever made in my entire life, and, tw you, you know, 2020 was bad, but 2021 for Lori and me started out, it was, it was just as bad, and for us, it was, it was a, a lot of personal things, uh, we had a difficult year. It was fraught with all kinds of disappointment and discouragement and uncertainty, a lot of uncertainty. And we had had a major relationship let down early that year. And, uh, you know, as pastors, when you pastor a church, that's part of, the, that's part of what happens. You, you see a lot of people come and you see a lot of people go. And it's very difficult not to take the ones who leave, not to take that personally. You, you, you think it, it, it's like you're losing a part of your family, a member of your family. And, and you take that personally. You, you, you wonder, what could I have done better? And so this particular person that left <clears throat> early that year just broke our hearts. It was just one of those that in, in the 44 years, <clears throat> this one was very, very <clears throat> difficult. The woman who, <clears throat> excuse me, the woman who left, <clears throat> was like a daughter to us, and uh, we had considered her a daughter. And so it was difficult. I was having some health issues at the time. And, <clears throat> excuse me, the, I'm, I apologize. <clears throat> Our church just seemed to be plodding along, uh, mediocrity. And so I, it was just a tough time the first few months of, of that year. <clears throat> I was scheduled you know, I've, I've only had laryngitis one time in my entire ministry, and that was the first service I preached in Fredericksburg as the new pastor. And so here I am, announced as associate pastor, 
So I apologize for my voice, but I'll get through it. I was due to teach in uh, Colorado Springs that year at G42 Leadership Academy for a week. I'd been doing this for the previous 11 years, but I'd been doing it in Mija, Spain twice a year. And uh, COVID shut that down in 2020, so I had to do a Zoom uh, teaching that year. And then the next year, uh, they decided to do it in Colorado Springs. And so Lori got to go to that one with me. It should, should not gotten to go to the other previous times I went. And I was supposed to teach on kingdom eschatology. And so I had to gear up my mind for, for, for that and had to put away all this stuff that was going on, on all the uncertainty and all the stuff that was that was plaguing us that those first several months of 2021 and you know that's that's hard to do but it's hard to kind of set aside your own stuff and then minister and give to people so we got through that and we Lori got to go along as I said and <clears throat> at the end of the week normally I'm I'm physically and mentally <clears throat> exhausted they have a tradition at G42 that at the end of the week they will <laughs> sorry <clears throat> they, they would normally have the students come around us or come around me and prophesy over me, speak words of encouragement, and speak um, the word of the Lord and pray. And so Lori was with me, so they put us in the center of the room. And they began to do that. <clears throat> and it was great. It was fantastic. Finally, we were getting ministered to, and it seemed like they... Uh, sensed what we were going through and they spoke to that and but two or three of them spoke something about uh, Ezekiel 37 about the valley of dry bones and so uh, it, it it was one of those things where I picked up picked up on that in two or three of the comments or the words of encouragement and let me just say if you if you don't know the vision the vision has a great ending a fantastic ending a mighty army at the end of this vision and so that's the that was the intention of the students to encourage us to say you know things are you know going to come to life and there's going to be resurrection and restoration and breath and all those kinds of things but I picked up on those on on the backhanded compliment thing you know I I went back to the hotel room and I asked Lori I said did you pick up on the Valley of Dry Bones? Two or three of them said something about that. She said she did. And I, I said, uh, here's the deal. Even though they meant this in a good way, in a positive way, I said to my wife, you know what the message is to us, don't you? And she said, what's that? And I said, right now, we're dry bones. That the prophecy, the, the word of encouragement was, we will have restoration in life and breath. But Right now, we're dry bones, and, and we are, and, and so is our church. So <clears throat> we flew back home, and two days later, I, I picked up on that, and I started a series, a four-week series called Can These Bones Live? Can These Bones Live? And I spent, like I said, four Sundays talking about this, hoping to stir things up in myself and in the church and trying to get some answers because like I said, we, there was just such uncertainty, and, and, I, and I, every day I could get up and say, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know what to do. And I'm not going to re-preach those messages, because he didn't give me four weeks, but I'm not going to re-preach those four messages, but I want to focus on a single thing 
in, the, in those messages, in that encounter that Ezekiel had with God. And I want to touch on that this morning, and, uh, and I'll get to that in a minute. But before I do, let me explain to you a little bit about the vision, because God explains this vision later on to Ezekiel. He tells him what's going on, what he is actually seeing, what he's actually looking at. It's, it's sort of like a, a dramatic image for Ezekiel, and, he, and, and, and God is telling Ezekiel a story. And the dry bones portrayed the condition of his people. And that's what I was picking up on as well. And for that matter, Ezekiel's own condition, because he's part of the people. And you have to skip ahead in the story to see this, because God relates the understanding later on. <clears throat> but what is the value of dry bones? Ezekiel 37, verse 11. This is what God says about the dry bones. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. He says three things here, and we'll put them up on the screen for you. Our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, and we are cut off. Now, first of all, let me just talk, to, talk about each one of these very briefly. Have you ever felt that our bones are dried up? The, Proverbs says this in Proverbs chapter 7, verse 22. We don't have this on the screen, but Proverbs says, a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Dry bones in the Bible imply discouragement or sadness. And then he says, our hope is lost. Again, Proverbs speaks to this as well. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And when you're when your, when your hope is deferred, the Bible says, it makes you feel something emotionally and, and inside. It makes your heart sick. And then finally he says, and this is to me the worst of the three, he says, we are cut off. Now, what that means is when you cut something off, it means there's nothing beyond that, 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 that this is the end. It's, it's a way of saying, I'm done. I'm, I'm just, I'm finished. That, that's where we are at the moment, that, that is the current condition of the children of Israel. Because that's what they're feeling on the inside. And sometimes we feel like, Isaiah said this. He said, I am undone. He said, I'm, I'm just, I'm, and, and many of us reach that point in our lives spiritually and emotionally. That we're just, this is it, we're cut off. And that's where the children of Israel were at this moment. But that's not the way they had always been, and that's not the way we've always been. There was a time in our life when we were full of life and full of breath and full of excitement and full of joy, and, 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 and those bones that, I, that Ezekiel saw scattered around everywhere represented previous life. There had been, at one point, life in these bones. It represented something that had been but now is not. And now things seem just old and, and dead and there's too much disappointment and maybe things have distracted you from the Lord or just familiar, familiarity which breeds, I think, indifference and apathy. And whatever reason, there are times when we find that we've just faded and we feel like we've, we're diminished somehow that we feel like our life has just diminished. There have been times in my life when I just felt like, God, are you putting me on a shelf? God, are you done with me? God, is this it? 
And, and we felt insignificant. I talked with a man one time about 20 years ago, and, I, and we were both around the same age, and I said, do you sometimes just feel insignificant, like, like you've reached the end, like you've reached the pinnacle, and now it's, you're just, you know, and some, they, say, they call that middle age crazy. Around that same time, a friend of mine said, you ought to read this book called Halftime, which it was implying you're at the half point time in your life, the halfway point in your life. And uh, what that means is, again, backhanded compliment, <laughs> everything's downhill uh, from, from this point on. And, but we get to that place where sometimes we just don't care. That's why in the New Testament it says don't be weary in well-doing because we can become weary in well-doing. And we just feel like this is it. We're done. We're, we're tired of trying. We've lost all hope that anything will change. We, we prayed and we cried out and we've agonized and we tried and tried and, and now we're just, we're just weary. And that, I think that's what these dry bones describe. Our, dry, our bones are dry and we're without hope. We're, we're done. When you think about it, really, the question that God is asking implies this. Can these bones live again? Can they live again? Can there be new life? Can there be a new creation, a new work of God in our life? Can there be new breath, something, again, that feels like life? I love the questions in the Bible. I love, I love the, the it, it's one of the ways God works with people and he works with us this way. God is a questioner. God had brought Ezekiel to this place to open his heart to the word of the Lord. So after Ezekiel takes a thorough tour tour of this valley of dry bones, God asks him a question. And questions are a, an important part of communication. In my opinion, they're one of the most powerful, you know, there's, there's uh, the, the, the interrogatory. The, it's one of the most powerful uh, forms of communication, asking a question. Questions are powerful in that they, they, they're like no other form of communication because they draw out of us something that perhaps we hadn't considered before. They kind of dig into our lives a little bit and, and force us to say something that we would not normally say because someone asks a question to draw out some honesty from us and, and they make us go deep within ourselves and, and, and perhaps opening us up to something that had lied, laid dormant for too long or even hidden. And God is best at doing this. Years ago, I did a study on all the questions in the Bible. I have Bible software that you can actually search for punctuation. And so I'm a bit of a nerd this way, and you'll learn that over time. But I, I love words, and I love that kind of detailed study. So I had my Bible so software search for all the question marks in the Bible. And there are about 3,300 of them. And I went the next step, and I looked at every single one of them. And I began to look at them, and I asked, I asked myself, uh, who is asking the question? <clears throat> To whom is the question being asked? And what is the question? And I was surprised at what I discovered. You'd think it would be overwhelmingly man questioning God. But God asks his fair share of questions in the Bible. And actually the very first question in the entire Bible was God asking Adam, where are you? And when questions like that are asked, asked Again, it draws something out of us. It makes us have to think. Okay, where, where am I? And so what I did was I started going through 
and asking myself, how would I answer? I looked at all the questions God asked, and I asked myself, how would I answer this? And that's, that's not a pleasant thing, because it really makes you do some soul searching. And, and so God was zeroing in on Ezekiel and asking him a challenging question. God's, as I said, God's done this with me several times in my life, once on a commercial airline at 33,000 feet, God asked me a pointed question about something I was struggling with, and I'd been struggling mightily with this thing for about two years, and it was taking me down, and it was affecting my preaching and everything, and, and it just was eating at me. And at 33,000 feet in the air on an, on an airplane, God asked me a question, and, uh, and, I, and, I, and I answered honestly, and I realized that my honest answer was, so ridiculous that I sensed God laugh at it. And then I joined him in the laughter, and I'm sitting on this plane at 33,000 feet laughing with God at my stupid answer. It was an honest answer, but when I realized how ridiculous it was, I, I, it, it, I, I just began to understand that God just asked these questions to, again, get us to focus on What's going on in our life right now? And, and if we answer those questions honestly sometimes, it's just, it's just quite revealing. And so <clears throat> I realized that as I was going through those questions and answering the questions God asked in the Bible, I found that with a lot of them, I just had to say, I don't know. I, I just don't know. I don't know. And perhaps sometimes that's God's point. To get us to the place that we realize that we don't have all the answers. In the book of Job, for instance, which is full of questions, by the way, you'd think Job is asking most of the questions. But that's not true. God is the one in Job asking most of the questions. And when God is done asking Job all of his questions, you know what Job's response was? He put his hand over his mouth. He didn't know what to say. I don't, I don't know. And here God is asking a son of man, Ezekiel, the son of man, a question, a provocative question. In other words, one that was meant to provoke thought, to stir up soul searching and self-searching and to trigger honesty in Ezekiel. And he does this to take our minds to some place that we need to explore. So after Ezekiel feasts his eyes on these dry, dusty bones, God asks again this question, can these bones live? What's God doing here? He's pushing Ezekiel. He's making him consider the impossible. He's looking at dry, dusty, and also, by the way, disjointed bones. They weren't even put together because the Bible says they they started coming together. And, and when he's looking at all this, God says, can these bones live? And, you know, so God has a way of putting his finger on the very thing we need to look at, the point of our deepest need or concern. And the question is, can these bones live? Now, by the way, this seems to be a yes or no question, right? Right? I mean, you either answer, I love those trial movies where the lawyer backs a witness into a corner and says, yes or no, please. And, and this seems like one of those times. God says, can these bones live? What do you think? 
Ezekiel. And I'll have to say that years ago, many years ago, when I was, became familiar with this passage, I used to be put off by Ezekiel's answer. I, I used to think, I thought it was a cop-out answer. And, and I've told people that it sounded like how a politician might answer a difficult question. Well, you know, you know the thing. You know, some of you got that, remember from a few years ago? How a politician, you know what, well, I don't want to say yes, and I don't want to say no, and, you know, I don't, I don't want to put myself out there. And, 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 and I think that, but, but, but as a few years ago, I started looking at this again, and I started, I started meditating on this and looking at it, and after pondering it for a few days a couple of years ago, I began to appreciate the answer so much so that I could even imagine now me saying something similar once I understood what Ezekiel was saying here. And in my opinion, there's a lot going on in these, in these four words, and really there's five, and I'll tell you, this, tell you what the fifth word is in a minute, that it's not in 90% of the translations. But there's a lot going on in these four words. Here's the verse again. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Lord God, you know. Now, can there be any more generic answer than this but it's not it's 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 filled with great meaning in my opinion you can't hardly get any simpler than this answer and i've come to regard it though as quite complex and quite deep and i've grown to appreciate this answer to me it's raw honesty it's deep soul searching and recognition in ezekiel of his own limitations i believe he's wrestling on the inside he looks at this valley of very dry, disjointed, scattered bones, and everything within him wants to answer God's question, can these bones live with this? Of, of course not. God, is this a trick question? What a silly question. My history tells me no. Human history says no. Science and medicine says no. That this is impossible. This has never happened before. Dry bones don't come back to life. Can there be anything deader than dry bones? Is deader even a word? We, uh, I grew up hearing deader than a doornail. But I actually, again, I'm a little bit of a word nerd, so I looked it up. Is deader a word? And, and I knew it wasn't. But having said that, one dictionary gave a humorous example of the use of that word, and here it is. He was deader than a dead dog's bone buried down a blind alley off a dead-end street in a ghost town. Man, he was dead. <laughs> That's the definition of deader. But we all know that there's no comparative to dead. You're either dead or you're not dead, right? And dry bones dead seals the deal. I mean, how many of you would ever come up on a dry, dusty, disjointed human skeleton and say, I better take a pulse. Maybe I should give CPR. We know that that means dead. There ain't no coming back from that, right? So you get it. That's the easy answer. The easy answer would be no. That's the human answer, an obvious answer. Now, give... Give Ezekiel credit. 
He didn't say no. Because after all, we're dealing with God here. And for God to even ask that question, there must be something up his sleeve. And so he didn't say no, but this is where it gets interesting. He also didn't say yes. And that would have been the spiritual, super spiritual halo kind of answer. Oh, yes, of course, God, we're dealing with you. Of course, yes. And I, and I can almost hear him say, everything inside of me wants to say no, but I want to shout yes. Because after all, again, we're dealing with God. We're dealing with the God who breathes breath into a dust pile. You know, who, who forms the first human, makes a body out of dust and dirt and mud and, and breathes life into that. So that's who we're dealing with. And so there's got to be that going on in Ezekiel's mind. But you know what? There's a third possibility. The third possibility is not yes, not no, but I don't know. I don't know. You know, there's nothing wrong with that phrase. There's nothing wrong with, that, with those words. Maybe some super spiritual Christians may say those are faithless words. I'll prove you wrong here in just a minute. But men of faith in the Bible said those words. Men of faith in the Bible said those words. After I had gone to Spain a few times to teach, the leaders started promoting me as the answer man. And, and I didn't like that a whole lot. I, I would get there and the students would say, uh, they all said, wait till Michael gets here and he'll answer your questions. When they asked him, them hard questions. And I, I really didn't like that. And I would tell, tell them, and we did have a Q&A at the end of my, my week every time. But I, I told them from the beginning, I said, I, I don't have all the answers. And, and I said, I don't mind you asking me any question. It doesn't matter as long as you don't mind me saying occasionally, I, d I don't know. And, 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 and I realized that the, through the years, the older I get, the less I know. And that's not dementia. It's just, it's not old age. It's just, it's just I realize as I get older that I, I become, I come to understand that I, I, I don't know as much as I thought I did. I wish I had some of the knowledge, just some of the knowledge that some of my teenage grandchildren have, you know, <clears throat> I'd like to tap into some of that, you know, that they're smarter than mom and dad and nan and papa, right? <laughs> but when I would go to Spain, they'd ask me, they'd ask me questions, and I'd just sometimes say, I don't know. I don't know. When God was dealing with my heart two years ago about this, every day I could, I could have said, during that, the, the, early year, the early months of 2021, I could have gotten up every morning and said, God, I, I don't know. And I could honestly say that. And I found myself groping for answers. Now, as a pastor, I don't know what Gabe's routine is, but my routine in, in preaching was always, uh, as soon as I finished my message on Sunday morning, I was already thinking about the following Sunday, and, and I would begin early in the week to start praying and listening to the Lord uh, carefully, trying to hear what God was saying uh, to me. And by Saturday, by Saturday morning, uh, Lori knew not to bother me. Lori says we've, we never had a Saturday off in 44 years, and that's, that's the truth. Uh, <coughs> I would go into my office, <coughs> and I always told people that, that 
it was not the putting the message together was not hard for me. It was the what. It was the what do I share? Because it was always important to me to share what God wanted to say to me and to the people. And so, and so I would pray about it, and Saturday morning I would go in and, and uh, start writing my notes. Well, Lori came into my office a couple of years ago, a little over two years ago, and one morning, and she asked me, do you know what you're preaching on? And I responded, I don't know, which usually made her nervous uh, because this is what I do, and if I don't know, and she, knew, and she knew how nervous I would get towards the end of Saturday if I still didn't know. And so she came into my office, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I said, I don't know. She asked me later on that night before bed, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I said, I don't know. Now, we, we would go to church separately because I would go early to, for music practice, and, and uh, she would ask me, she had asked me before leaving the house that morning, what are you preaching on? I would have responded, I don't know. You see, I've said already that I was at a loss during those first several months of, of 2021, and this particular week, it just wasn't coming together. I hadn't heard from the Lord Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and I was getting more and more nervous. And I would sit down and I would write random thoughts on a piece of paper, and a lot of times that would inspire me. But nothing was inspiring me. And let me just say that I've been doing this long enough that I can pull a random verse out of the Bible, or I could say, give me a verse, and I could preach on it just like that. But that's not the way I operated. I, I, I never preached that way. I was, always wanted to hear the word of the Lord for the people. I didn't want to just pull some random verse out and say, well, this is it for the week. And, and so that was always important to me to hear the word of the Lord. And I will tell you, that Saturday morning, I had absolutely nothing, my, just, just a blank. And so I went into my office that Saturday morning, and I, and, I, and I just said those, I just got honest with God, and I just said those three words. I said, I don't know. And God said, there it is. And so that was my message titled, I don't know. So, if, so when Lori came and asked me, what are you preaching on tomorrow? I said, I don't know. And that was the truth. That was the title of my message. <laughs> Last Wednesday in Grow Group, someone asked me, what are you preaching on on Sunday? And I said, I don't know. And they, <laughs> and they said, oh, oh so you're just saving. You're just, you're just kind of being secretive. And uh, I said, you'll see. <clears throat> Each time I responded to Lori and said, I don't know, I was giving her the title of my message. Because I realized that often in our lives, we just don't know. And if asked, that would be our answer to life's biggest questions. Even in a time when we can easily find answers to most of our practical problems on Google or YouTube or something. And I don't know how many times I've looked on YouTube to figure out how to change a you know, toilet out or something, you know, all kinds of things. You can get all kinds of answers on Google and YouTube and answers to practical questions, but you won't find the kinds of answers to questions that keep you up at night, that make your heart sick, that worry or plague you. You're not going to find that on Google. And I know right now many of you if not all of you, are facing things that you could say right now, I, I don't know. Worldly knowledge does not answer life's toughest questions. 
The Scripture's clear about this. This is what Paul says. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he does not know yet as he ought to know. Paul, this brilliant man of whom Peter said of Paul, he writes things that are hard to understand. So Peter said Paul's writings were hard to understand. Paul, that same Paul said, we know in part. We don't have all the answers. We have partial knowledge. And that's an understatement, especially when you compare it to the one who has all knowledge. And as I said, the answers to your toughest questions will not be found on your phone. And we're often faced with those three words of surrender because that's what they are. I don't know. It's honest. It's humble. It's saying, God, I don't know. Those three words were part of my dad's last words that he spoke before he died. He was laying in bed beside my mom. He had had a stroke about 10 months earlier. He was having to relearn how to talk, and they were laying in bed in my brother's house in, uh, in Goodland, Oklahoma. And just before he got out of bed, my mom asked him, what's going to become of us? And he said this. He said, I don't know, but I know someone who does. And he went into the bathroom to take a shower, and he died there. And at, at this moment, there are lots of things that we don't know. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what will happen to my children or my grandchildren. I don't know which path to choose. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I, I don't know if I can take this another day. I don't know if things will turn out well. I don't know what my next move is. I don't know, but I know someone who does. And hear what he said. I don't know. This is what he said. My dad said, I don't know. But I know. Right? I don't know. But I know someone who does. I want to invite the worship team to come back up. One of the best examples of this in the scripture is Abraham's story. Remember when God appeared to him and he told Abraham, pack your things and leave your country. And the author of Hebrews summarizes this this way. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. That means if at any point in Abraham's journey, someone had stopped his caravan and said, Abraham, where are you headed? He could have legitimately said, I don't know. Isn't that amazing? I don't know. But I know someone who does. I'm following someone who does. God had simply said, go to a land that I will show you, and Abraham obeyed. And every step he could have said, I don't know. I don't know. And every morning that he woke up, he could have opened his eyes and said, I don't know. I don't know whether to go this way or that way, but I know someone who does, and I'm hard on his heels. And he could have said, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, but you I know, and I trust you. 
how could he do that? Because he had heard the word of the Lord and he trusted God. Notice it says, by faith, Abraham went out not knowing. By faith, Abraham didn't know. It's not a faithless thing. And in my opinion, it's the pinnacle of faith and trust to say, I know I don't know, but I trust him so much that I, I'm going to take him by the hand and he's going to take me somewhere. And guess what? Abraham got there. And you're going to get there because you know the one who does know. So let's get back finally to Ezekiel. Ezekiel's seemingly those four words, and there's really five. The, the majority, in my opinion, of translations miss this. He doesn't say no. He doesn't say yes. Instead, he addresses God, and this is what the Hebrew says. It says, Lord God, you. He says, Lord God, you. Now, in, in the, go ahead and put the next slide up there. <clears throat> in the in, in English, we understand that with some verbs that the you is understood. If I tell my son, go to your room, I don't have to say you go to your room. He, and the you is understood. Hebrew is the same way. So mo most verbs in the Old Testament include that you understood. And it, and it does in this particular verse also. But it adds an extra you. And most translations miss this. Young's literal translation, that old Young's literal translation gets it right. And puts that, that extra you in there. So here's what he's saying. Can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, Lord God, you. You know. As long as I'm following you, as long as I'm trusting in you, you know. And that's all I need. That's all I need. That's all I need. Imagine a scenario this morning, a time when you're facing the impossible. Dry bones is impossible. Where you just look to God in deep trust and say, you, you're all I have. But you're all I need. You, I don't know, but you know, and I know you. I don't know how to answer, but I know you, and you know all. So at this moment, this morning, whatever you're facing, whatever your question here is your answer. He is your answer. I don't know what to do, but I know someone who does. I don't know the direction, but I know someone who does. I don't have the answers, but I know someone who does. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know someone who does. I don't know what will become of my family, but I know someone who does. I don't know anything else, but I know you. And that's enough. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. And the prayer team can come forward and pray. Another church in our community. Today we want to pray for Emmanuel Baptist Church. So let's say a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you.